Hello, all, and welcome to the Skeptic Hangout, the place where we sit back, relax, and chit-chat about intriguing and sometimes controversial topics through the lens of skepticism. With us today is Richard Gilliver from the Skeptic Takeout, Laura McGee from Unapologetically Me, and Richard Gill from the Yorkshire Atheist. Today, we are going to be talking about the book, the word, the one true God, and the Jesus. So grab your English tea or hey, your English tea. Hit that like and subscribe button and join us as we skepticize whether or not you can determine truth from this very specific ancient book. This is episode 28, The Bible. came with props awesome (laughs) oh the bible (laughs) you want me to outdo you (laughs) no i don't yeah let's see it oh it's probably like four inches thick Uh, holy cow no that is the holiest of holy bibles wow it's just a book inside it's just got a fancy cover it's probably one of those like jewelry boxes or, or like keepsake boxes, right? Where you open it up and it's hollow. <laughs> it's it's full of artwork it's by fun. Rembrandt. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, it is. It's, it's, that got, is it's cool. all illustrated by Rembrandt paintings. Yeah. That Pretty cool, cool book, actually. Dude, that'd be worth collecting just to collect. That, that's neat. I like that. I have a, so I got rid of a lot of my holy texts from both Christianity and Islam after I left both religions, but I kept um, one little holy Bible. And it was because my, my aunt gave it to me when I was a really, really little girl. But it has, like, the prettiest, like, it's like the really clear, almost like um, tracing paper throughout yeah, the yeah. whole the whole Bible. Yeah. And then every, like, I don't know, 20 or 40 pages or so, there's illustrations. And they're, they're like, beautiful. So I still have that just for the, the art value of well, it. Well, this, this Bible I've got here um, is the Confirmation Edition. So I don't know if it's a thing in other denominations of Christianity, but um in the church common thing for children to be baptized as infants and then once they're sort of aware of the fact that there's a thing called christianity and this god guy then they go through a process of confirmation where they go through like confirmation classes classes, yeah 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 yeah. um and so i got this and it's it's all lovely and um in 2002 and it's got some lovely like calligraphy and it was um yes like this is a special thing to me even though i'm not christian anymore and I did yeah. go through a bit of a phase in um, in my teenage years of like any time I saw an interesting looking Bible or a new translation that I didn't already have, I kind of picked those all up. And that was kind of a thing I liked, you know, like with a fancy cover or with. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, the, physically some some of the best looking and nicest made books around often. So Oh, they're gorgeous sometimes. Yeah. I think so some of them. Let's start by talking about it as a piece of artwork, then. Yeah, no, I like that. Either artwork or literary value. Um, like, not even getting into the the really controversial stuff. I like where we're starting. But um, when I was in English class in one of my high school years, I think it was my junior year, we actually did a whole unit study on the Bible as um, a literary work. And so it was what was the style? What was the author trying to convey? How does the style differ throughout the Bible? What's a parable versus a history versus um, like just a story? You know, all those different types of, of writing. So it was really kind of cool to look at it from a completely outside. How long did you do that over? Um, it was a semester. That, that's like a 10-year project. Well, it was very... So we started with things like the Garden of Eden. We read just, just the... the that part of the story and then we we digested it and then she'd move on to another piece of the book and and we digest that but i think what she did like at a very high school level she took themes or ideas and was like okay we'll read this section like passage and it was maybe like the reading wasn't substantial it was the writing and the analysis that was more substantial so it was read this particular passage compare it to these types of fables or psalms or poems or whatever and and do analysis on it um, so it wasn't it wasn't super in depth, but it gave us an idea. Um, I th- I think if anything, it, it 
allowed me to look at the Bible from a different light as not like a religious text, but as a like a written form of just a piece um, of literature. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. With with validity in that realm, which I think it completely has. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it, definitely. Like the Bible's interesting to me, and I know we'll probably get into the the history and lots of other things as well. But you know, like it is a text that, despite not having originals and whatever else, it has lasted for a long, long time and can give us insights into you know ways that humans in the past looked at things and thought about things. Uh, it gives us insights into the things that people valued and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and none of us three, I think, would give much credence to the supernatural claims of the Bible or anything like that, um, per se. Not not as but supernatural fact, claims, but as, again, as not as actual supernatural claims, but mm-hmm. as as stories and as literature. Yeah, yeah, but that, the impact from that in in that sort of realm, in terms of the the cultural impact that the Bible has had and the mm-hmm. impact that it's had on even uh, like the English language, you know, to do with like yes. all the words and phrases that came out, or, like the King James translation of the Bible and all those sorts of things. It's impact culturally, linguistically is massive, even religious stuff aside. Well, I think even the supernatural claims are important in the sense that, so you were talking about it's, it's historical value and, and allowing us to get sort of like a glimpse at the cultures and stuff. But those supernatural claims within the Bible are valid for that reason, because it, mm-hmm. it really, really shows. So different cultures have different superstitions and different beliefs and different taboos. So looking specifically at the, the supernatural aspects of the Bible, I think, is just as valid <coughs> as any other part of the Bible, because it really shows us. But you start talking about how God interacts with people or the different types of spiritual creatures, like how angels, for example, have adapted and changed based on how our cultures have adapted and changed over the years, like what they originally represented versus what they represent now to modern day Christians. Right. Um, watching those changes occur um, kind of tells us a lot about the cultures that, that made those changes. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. So thank you for watching Skeptic Hangout today. We've come to a natural end of our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Is that all we have to say? Definitely. Scholarly insights into the Bible and and that that sort of thing in in your in your studies. In in what respect? In any respect you care to speak um, about. <laughs> I'm 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 really getting interested. I've been looking at the Bible kind of from a textual perspective for or for a long time, but seriously for about ten years ish. Uh, I'm getting really, really, really interested in the minute New Test in New Testament scholarship. Uh, that's really where I'm going. Um, I, I went through a phase of going through the Old Testament, but not really as a scholar, just as interest. But I'm getting really into I'm like deep diving into a lot of the New Testament stuff and how it was formed and things. At the minute, uh, uh, it, it's fantastically interesting. If you're a boring tits like I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where you've you've got to like like say I've I've been reading the Bible from that kind of from a study perspective for about 10 years. And it's only the last year or two I've kind of started looking like seriously at the New Testament stuff. And I love it. I think it's fantastic. Can't get enough of it. I just like shh give me more books. Give me more books to read about it. Different interpretations. And and I've said it before on this show, and I'll, I'll continue saying it. A lot of people who are in our community, they, they go to the popular kind of agnostic scholars and take their opinions on boards. But there are fucking good Christian scholars mm. uh, as of the New Testament. And the, the conclusions from a scholarly perspective are largely the same as the kind of agnostics and atheists scholars from from the perspective of uh, the technical side of it, how the books were formed, how they were right. amalgamated, and what what? Uh, what source documents they may or may not have used, uh, there were some good arguments about it. One of my favourite things to do is um, if if I see any um, uh, kind of debates uh, advertised between New Testament scholars of of different sorts. 
I try and I don't watch them live. I watch them after the fact and I tend to skip the first five or 10 minutes. Yeah, skip the intros. <laughs> and I don't, I don't kind of, I try and get past the part where it tells you which one's the agnostic or atheist or which one's the oh. theist. And I try and listen purely to the arguments and see which arguments I find the most interesting and, and compelling. And, and often I end up coming down on the theist side of it because they're not arguing for God's existence. They're arguing for the way the Bible was put together. With some sort of scholarly integrity. Yeah, yeah. There's some really good uh, theistic scholars out there. Cause, really cause yeah. sort of How the Bible was put together and stuff. Um, I think we may have mentioned this before as well. I think all of us start that every other sentence with, I think we mentioned this before. I think we mentioned this before. <laughs> it's because we're um, getting old and we've done a lot of shows now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like I... I know when I was a Christian, I knew next to, well, no, not next to nothing. I knew nothing about the creation of the Bible and how it was written. Aside oh, yeah. The Old Testament was written before Jesus and the New Testament was written after Jesus. And that was fully sort of all I knew about it. And obviously there's a, a liturgy that went on in church where we, we heard bits of the Bible and whatever else, but never was it even brought to our attention that like, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were not written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Right. Um, and I think it's really interesting how that is still not, it doesn't seem to me to be a, a piece of common knowledge amongst Christians. Um, and often, you, you see the thing online a lot, don't you, about how atheists are the people who have read the Bible or know more about the Bible than believers themselves. And for me, that certainly is the case. I, I know loads more about the Bible. Uh, and actually for some reason care more about the creation of the bible now than i was when i was a christian um and i don't know if it's because some of the facts about the bible's creation how it's put together and translation and stuff seem to take away some of the sort of integrity behind the bible as a as a book and as a as an authoritative text um but yeah, I just find it interesting that, that that was literally just never mentioned in church, never mentioned in Bible study, wasn't mentioned in, you know, my confirmation classes I went to and all that lot. Uh, and then it's just as an atheist that I found all that out. Yeah, it's so interesting. I've got a question. Sorry, Laura, go on. Oh, no, I was just going to say it, it is interesting because I think that that actually is is somewhat widespread unless you decide to go to a Bible college. And even within a Bible college, unless you decide to um, focus on biblical <coughs> history or... Um, or contextual criticism or any of that kind of stuff. Um, I think that it is definitely taken for granted from what I've noticed in, in religious communities where their texts come from. Um, because if, when I remember back to being a Christian, like for me, it was just like, um, first it was, Oh, it's just the inspired word of God or, Oh, well it's possible God helped write this, or it's possible. This is something that, um, God allowed to be created or wanted to be created. And that was it. That was all I thought about it. Like, yeah. ah, you know, cool. And um, I never really thought more about it, but I, I wonder. So a lot of the time it was the message that was important, right? Exactly. The, the behind the scenes stuff, wasn't it? Like, yeah. that's the point. Yeah. You had a question, Jolliver. I did. Try and cast your mind back. Relax. Mm-hmm. Count backwards from 10 to 1. No. If you can try and cast your mind back to when you were a believer, had somebody at that time when you were kind of in the height of your belief, put to you that uh, the Gospels weren't uh, written by Mark, Matthew, Luke and John. What would do you think would your reaction to that have been? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I don't have an accurate answer to that because that, that you know, those circumstances never happened. Right. But I imagine that my go-to response to that would have been that it doesn't actually matter because God has guided the writing of those books and that even if it was decades later, maybe there are sources from before that that we've yet to discover or um you know it but basically it's just an irrelevant point because um it's the inspired word of god it's all all scripture is god breathed and all that lot and so however it was written whoever wrote it whenever it was written it was correct anyway so and, and obviously i wouldn't have accepted those arguments about the quran or about you know any other sorts of other holy texts from other religions mm-hmm. um so I, I understand fully the, the flaws of that sort of line of thinking laura what about you um same disclaimer and pretty much same answer like i don't think it would have bothered me or shook me one way or another that specific question like the yeah. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John weren't written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'd be like, so some some religious organization or body somewhere decided to give these books names, and that's the names they chose for them. Okay, now what? Right? <laughs> like, it just, it really wouldn't have had much of an impact on me. In fact, I think I did actually hear that argument while I was still a Christian. And I actually, I think I even adopted that as a Christian. Like, hey, y'all Christians, you do realize they didn't really write this book, right? But it didn't change my faith in Christianity or in the book itself. It just changed my faith in how we approach it, like, historically. Um, okay, yeah, maybe there's some stuff in there that, not stuff in there, but um, maybe the way it was put together has man's hand all over it. Big whoop, you know. Yeah, the reason I say is because uh, a lot of the uh, uh, the conversations I get into, and I, I stress this is more kind of with apologists and stuff, so it's not your kind of average Joe, but yeah, the more, most I would say of the conversations I get into when that information is presented is just, well, that's a lot of bullshit. Of course they wrote. Wow. So I mean, that- as well, when when, you know, you were talking about, Richard, looking at the sort of both Christian and secular um, scholars and and, um, the vast, vast majority of Christian scholars agree that they didn't write it and that, you know, it was however many decades later. Like, that's not a controversial opinion amongst Christian scholars. Right. Um, But people just seem to relish in living in the ignorance of that information. Well, I think people build their their sort of reality or worldview around it. Like, some people just can't shake new new truths like they can't they can't adopt them so easily so yeah i i agree with you it didn't seem that controversial to me as a christian because probably because of that very reason like well it's not really a big deal even christian scholars say yeah they didn't really write them but it's still we need a book title right but um it's interesting to me that because you talk to a lot more christians from that more skeptical perspective in the apolo- uh epistemological you know like street epistemology that perspective I never did that as a Christian and I, I don't really do that much now as an atheist. I don't do it at all as an atheist. So it's interesting to me that that's your experience is that so many people are like, bullshit. They wrote the books. I know for a fact, don't, don't even talk to me about it. Like you just lost credibility with me because you said that, like, <laughs> you know, like I didn't realize that I mean, was so prevalent. It's funny as well, because it tends to be, um, and and this is completely from my experience, so this is not meant to be uh, any kind of argument that this is the kind of case across the board. But it tends to be that some of the ones who will say that the Gospels were written by the attributed authors are quite happy to admit that Moses didn't write the first five books of the Bible, whereas there are, there are those that do. I don't come across those who insist yeah. that Moses was the author. Because that's the traditional sort of opinion. <laughs> of them, I, think, yeah. so I have a question on that when you're done, but keep pressing. Yeah. This, despite the fact that uh, one of the books contains the record of Moses' of death, so he, he obviously point after he died. But, I mean, <laughs> having said that, there were, there were at least 10 occasions where people rise from the dead in the Bible, so it's not. Particularly, maybe he just rose from the dead and wrote it, and it wasn't recorded that he rose from the dead. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> I've also heard it that somebody tacked on, like, well, maybe he wrote the books, but then somebody added to the end after his death or whatever. Like, I, I've heard a myriad different reasons for that. My question yeah. to you, oh studious one, is how? <laughs> oh God, don't don't give me uh, pressure. Did... Yeah, no pressure, <laughs> no pressure. But you better have the answer. How did people determine in the first place like how did it become a thing that moses wrote the first five books of the bible like how did that become i don't know i think i think it was just tradition i think it was just kind of the the attributed to him much like the uh the gospels were attributed to matthew mark luke and john over the time as the centuries have gone on it's so just it kind of just down happened. into tradition yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't, obviously the people who wrote it knew that they weren't Moses. Right. <laughs> and, I like how it's like an in-universe sort of authorities like Matthew, Mark, Luke and John have been attributed to the, the names of those people because they're significant characters within this story. 
but it's it's all in universe authorities like they're only important because they're in the story that yeah. you I, th- I think we yeah. should be careful as well and I'm 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 being tentative here because I'm not so familiar with the old how the old testament was put together and things so I'm being tentative here and some of this is guesswork regarding the old testament but I think we we should be careful not to attribute them as being the same process of of attribution so oh absolutely are, we don't know, you know we have the, no idea the gospels on weren't attributed in the same way that the old test i think the old testament was a more natural process of, and they weren't of, they weren't collected and passed down the same way and they didn't they didn't stem from exactly no, the same cultures in they were I mean, completely different cultures yeah. and indeed the priests of the time were the only ones who had as, as far as i understand it and i do stand to be corrected on this because i'm not 100 percent sure about this but the uh you can't be 100 percent sure about anything <laughs> insert disclaimer <laughs> but, here <laughs> but i'm uh I, th- I think i think the priests uh had the access to the texts and they spoke because they were the, the only ones who knew the original name of god that was lost i mean we only have an approximation now of the name of god and that caused lots of translation issues over the course of the years but yeah. uh, uh the, the, it was originally the priests who who kind of gave the i don't want to say sermons because that puts too much of a christian spin on it who who gave Lectures. the teachings yeah, teachings. yeah well, well, they were in 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 the uh in the temples uh because there would have been temples at that time and they uh they were the ones who had access to the scriptures and you know the people hearing the stories and then and passing the stories on orally would have just grown up with that and i think it would have been a much more natural evolution Mm-hmm. Whereas the attribution of the uh, the gospel writers was, uh, I'm, I don't even want to say it was uh, done deliberately as a matter of kind of deception because I don't think I think it probably no they may wasn't. have been they may have been convinced uh, based on whatever was, evidence it was done over a, I yeah. think it was done over a much shorter period yeah and the because the Old Testament was written the 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 first five books of the Bible were written over a, a much longer period. Uh, and you were talking probably, I can't remember the exact dates, but I think it was near enough a thousand years from, from the Old Testament has all those like full genealogies of whatever. You uh, yeah, know, and, and, and we're talking like just about the, the Septuagint, the first five books here, mm-hmm. because they are the ones that were attributed to Moses. And, and they were, I think it was around a thousand years. So the, certainly the later. Uh, um the later books were ar- around 500 bc i think they were and i think the earliest ones were around 1300 bc so it was a long time that those those texts were kind of put together and and things so the tradition grew really slowly around those whereas of course the uh, the new testament from the time of jesus's death to the kind of uh, to the finalization of the New Testament, which was a long process filled with lots of different little bits and different sects and different cults and different mm-hmm. ideas and different opinions. That was only 400 years. It was less than 400 years between between Jesus dying and the first uh, Bible that we had in one language, one complete language. So it was a much quicker process even than the first five books of the Bible. And of course, then you've got the later books like Daniel, which was about 200 uh, BC, I think it was, uh, give or take. I just want to take a moment to reflect on that really quick. This is going to be, it's going to seem totally off topic, but these books developed over thousands and hundreds of years. So when you say 400 years, that was a quick process. That is mind boggling to me. (laughs) Like how long did it take JK Rowling to write the first Harry Potter? And then how long did it take her to write all the Harry Potters that she's done so far total, right? Or all the books within that lore total. Like that happened in what, like a couple decades? And she has <laughs> like a lot total? fewer plot holes than and, the Bible. Yeah. And she's, and that, and that's very, exactly the point though. I think, but, I think had it been written in, in, a, in a short period, it would have had fewer plot holes. Right. It would have been more cohesive and coherent. I guess but, that's the but, point I'm trying to make is like, I mean, just compare it to the Quran, which was written again. It was it was a longer process than some of the Muslims would have, or most Muslims would have, to believe. Mm-hmm. It was around two hundred years, I think, before it was kind of we got it into a cohesive form that's anything like what we have today. 
Right. But it, that has far fewer plot holes than even the New Testament does. Yeah. Even though there it's were divisions coherent. and things, yeah. there were less divisions. The, the, the divisions in the New Testament were, were huge. And maybe we can talk about them a little bit after the commercial break. But yeah, let's the, do that. Let's let's take a quick break. I don't want to stick up. They don't stick on the New Testament all day, though, because some interesting stuff in the Old Testament. I also want to talk about like translation and stuff like that as well. So we'll definitely talk about that. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I have a topic as well. I want to talk about when you say the Bible, I want to talk about which Bible. So. Let's go to commercial break and then we'll we'll address our, our three topics. What well, exciting part two we've got in store. <laughs> Stay tuned, people. Don't don't fail on us now. It's gonna get more exciting after the commercial break. Okay, so uh We'll start with a lover because you've been coming out of your shell a little bit recently. You had a bit of time off doing things, and uh, I've, yeah. I've noticed you sneaking about recently, popping up here and there. So tell us what you're doing. I know, you know, I didn't actually write down my schedule, which I should have before recording this, but um, I do have two appearances for nonprofits in September. Um, so if you want to see me in September, just catch every nonprofit in September and you'll be fine. Um, yeah, and then I've been working a lot with um, the Promethean Frontier as well. Um, uh, the se- Promethean Secular Frontier, sorry. Um, they're wonderful people. They're still very small and they're growing, but I've been working with them as well. So um, I don't have anything on the books with them right now, but I just I just did one a couple weeks ago. Ricardo. Um, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm not doing anything <laughs> like that people can see apart from like my class when we restart the school the school term at the end of uh, the beginning. Oh, you've got that pleasure to look forward to, haven't you? Going back yeah, to school yeah, after I'm many, many weeks off. Very, very excited um, about all the work I haven't done in the holidays that I need to catch Yes, um, good times. <laughs> so while I'm not while I'm not doing that schoolwork, um, I have been <laughs> taking part in discussions in the Facebook discussion group, which is a wonderful place to go and uh, bob along and uh, take part in some discussions about the stuff we're talking about, share some links have some fun, uh, and hang out with uh, the three of us and all our friends. Uh, so you can find that and links to all of the different platforms you can catch a show on at Skeptic... No. At Linktree slash Skeptic Hangout. I had a bit of a, a brain fart just then. Um, nice recovery, though. Nice recovery. Very graceful recovery. Yeah, nobody knows. <laughs> nobody knows. No, they won't know. No. So, yeah, do that. Uh, um, I, I just want to uh, just uh, usurp Laura a little bit by saying uh, uh, I'm on the nonprofits before you in September because I'm actually on this Sunday nice. um, with some great people. Actually, uh, I'm on with uh, Cynthia McDonald, who I'm so <gasps> excited to Cynthia. work with. Yeah. I've never worked with her, and I love her. Oh, she's and, amazing! Yeah, yeah, no, who I'm a big fan of, uh, and uh, secular rarity. It was a very good friend of mine. Wasn't he just on, hold on, he was just on another, like, Talk Heathen or... It was on yeah. Truth Wanted. No, Truth Wanted. I'm sorry, I knew I would get it wrong. See? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. So, yeah, I really I really like him as well. That's really cool. So yeah, that'll so, be fun. Yeah, and, and just a, an extra reminder to go and check out our discussion group and talk to us and shout at us and tell us where we go wrong and... Uh, yeah, please comment about all the things Jill has got wrong this episode. Please do. Yes, up. and progress the conversation. We only talk about so much of every topic because we just only have like a little over an hour um, or around an hour. So yeah, get your opinions out there so we can keep the discussion going and getting it um, a little bit more in depth on the Facebook page. And this is the Michael Bible episode. So see what I did there. Um. <laughs> I don't, I don't get it, but I'm leaving it in. <laughs> <laughs> the, the British people get it and probably throw things at me when they see it. But, um, yeah, so come, we'll see you after the commercial break. That's it. All right. Yeah, so you were talking about like the the flecks of gray in your beard. Um, my only gray right now is my rogue stripe. So I have like this little like it's like rogue <laughs> from X Men. 
And it's like this, this perfect little. And You're I was not like, planning yeah. on touching anyone, anyway. are you? Yeah, so I figure if, if, if there's any way that I would want to go gray, that would be the way. Like, mm. <laughs> yeah, because my my way is just sort of the boring, slowly coming on, the slow on, fade, on yeah, slowly on here, and it's bits on yeah, top. But you're like, like that's three. Yeah, like, just one at a time yeah you know my dad and my dad and me are the same so like from when i was like 22 23 i started like just started on the sides here and i've dabbled with like dyeing my hair but i went to school and all the all the other stuff were like have you i'm like yeah <laughs> it, it was yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, i think a little bit of gray in the hair is good i've embraced it i've accepted it this is who i am yeah yeah i like mine <laughs> i'm proud of mine Okay, so this episode is not about going gray. This episode is about the Bible. So welcome back, everybody, from the commercial break. Um, but we had three different topics that we wanted to discuss. So, Jilliver, let's get into yours first. Which was? You I'll tell be... me, boy. You <laughs> tell me. Do we need to skip? Was it the uh, how the New Testament was put together? I think it may have been. Uh, which was? No clue. No clue. We'll, we'll go with that because that's all I can remember. <laughs> uh, there was lots of different groups. The thing is people kind of think that they were... It, the, the New Testament is one of those things where you hear the phrase a lot, that the winners write history. Yeah. And the New Testament is a perfect example of that because there were so many different groups who had so many different beliefs who all followed Jesus. Yeah. Uh, you see that, don't you, even in like Paul's letters and stuff, where he's like advising other churches what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing, and all that. So, like, it's even evident there in the text, isn't it? That sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's uh, even uh, like an air of chiding with him, where he kind of like chides the, the other churches for their, their misbeliefs, according to him, right? Like, they were doing yeah, things and wrong. A, a lot of the early, the early Christian groups, some of them believed that uh, Christ was God literally come down to earth incarnate that there was just one god Mm -hmm. and then it was incarnate in jesus some of them believed that uh god and jesus were (laughs) it gets complicated Uh, (laughs) god and jesus were kind of uh one person but jesus didn't always exist god it kind of came about through god and that was that kind of idea was knocked down at Nicaea in three two five when they all got together and beat out the the kind of Trinity. Um, so yeah, it's, it's there's lots of different groups and lots of different ideas, and of course the, the what's now known as the Orthodox ideas were were the winners uh, in that whole thing. But the the history of it is so messy. Oh and my gosh! I was <laughs> going to history white because like it. I think it's generally believed, isn't it, that like Paul's letters are the first ones that were written down, and then it was like the Gospels, and then all the other stuff, and then Revelation came at the end. But like, even that was a span of like set, like yeah, just decades and centuries. Even the things with Paul's letters, though, they're not the. I mean, we don't need to go into the details here, but like some of them were thought to be forged and not by Paul. Some of them were thought to have been altered by later scribes. <laughs> and even every little bit of the New Testament that you look into, uh, there's this kind of mystery and intrigue and mm. lots of things that make a jolly good film. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's fantastic the, the way you look at it. But what, what's kind of agreed upon generally is the, the early, early church or the early churches or the early groups uh, all kind of had this idea that let's rewind a little bit to the book of Daniel. Oh, yes. Let's it go back. wasn't until the book of Daniel, until the kind of idea came about that heaven was going to be a place on earth. The, the right. I just want to stop on that, that for was, a second. Yeah. The idea yeah. that, that Jew, Jewish um, lore does not involve heaven and hell. And a lot of Christians that I've talked to and a lot of them that I've seen talking don't acknowledge that or understand that or even know that yeah right like that was a later insertion into um the religion. well that that was i kind of much later because when we got yeah. like I say it was the book of daniel's first kind of put the idea forward of of the being in heaven on earth which is what jesus thought right and uh, it's what all the the kind of early schools that followed jesus thought 
And And wasn't that popular historically in other religions too? Like, wasn't there, they call it something where like, um, it was popular in multiple religions throughout that area to start incorporating the idea of like, um, both heaven and earth on heaven on earth, but also like heaven and hell. Right. Like it was originally. Well, heaven and hell came later. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the idea was essentially, and this is, I'm painting a very black and white picture here. So feel free to beat me up about it in the comments on the group. And then we can have a proper discussion with nuance about it. But essentially what happened was <laughs> Jesus, Jesus came along and he was of this mind that uh, there was going to be a heaven on earth and a big kind of uh, apocalypse where the Lord would come down and judge people and the enemies of the Lord would be smited and killed and the good people would be raised up bodily from the grave and live on earth, which mm-hmm. was heaven for eternity, if you like. Uh, that didn't happen. And wasn't and so, that heaven and, more like paradise? Like it wasn't like heaven. Yeah, yeah. We, we picture heaven as like cloudy, clouds yeah, and like yeah. these pillars and gold yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. But it was more like just earth Garden of without Eden-ish. the problems. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, without yeah. the suffering and the pain. And, and then, <clears throat> then um, uh, it didn't happen. And Jesus didn't uh, lead this revolution. And Jesus died. And all the people who were led to, like, who will kind of believe in this story were thinking, eh, well, we still believe in Jesus, but what we believed about Jesus was wrong. Let's, like, kind of reinterpret. Yeah, oops, we got happened. it wrong. Yeah, yeah and, and that's where the concept of, because Judgment Day didn't come. So Judgment Day became Judgment mm-hmm. When You Died. Personal judgment. That's day. where yeah. the idea of heaven and hell started to come from. But they kept uh, both concepts. They did keep both concepts, yeah. but it was reinterpreted. And the winners, as we talked about earlier, were the ones who who had this idea that you went up there if you you were good, and down there for eternity if you were That's bad. an example, isn't it, of where like these later ideas then come to influence things that have been written earlier, where we attribute other things that either Jesus said supposedly in the Bible or things that were in the Old Testament, is, oh, well, that's talking about heaven or oh, that's talking about hell. Yeah, that, that's where they, the dodgy things onto it, don't they? And a great example of that is is the word Christ, which literally right. is... Christos, yeah. Yeah, it, it means the anointed one. And it's, that's the Greek, Christ is a, a Greek word. Which and there were many, many Christs at the time, weren't there? Like, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't uncommon to, to... yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, well, we'll come back to that. Let's set that aside just a minute. <laughs> Put a pin in it. So we we had we had the word for Christ, which was the uh, Greek equivalent of the Hebrew anointed, which word for anointed one. And the anointed ones in the Old Testament were just the kings who were anointed with oil to show the the heavenliness. Uh, these not heavenliness, but the favor with God. Uh, then these. Uh, there was kind of a big battle. Those all died out. Then an idea came about about the Messiah, who was the future anointed one to come. And that all got mixed up with Jesus and with this uh, Jewish itinerant preacher. And, and that's kind of how it, that's a like three second concise history of the Bible. But talking about the, the other people, which Laura touched upon, sons of God, the idea of sons of God. Well, there were lots of these people and it, it was a term that meant, uh, People had a special relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And there were lots of these guys about at the time. It wasn't just Jesus. Yeah, it was very, it wasn't literal. It was um, figurative. It was very yeah. much of and a the same of People a say like children of God, meaning just like Christians or people of belief or yeah. just that sort of general thing, isn't it? And then that gets into the, the arguments of using the term brother, like brother. Um, oh, when, when, at one point in the Bible, in the New Testament, when they mentioned like, the brother of Jesus, was it his literal brother or was it one of his followers or was it just another Christian, like a, a fellow believer? Like what do they mean by the word brother? Right. So there's a lot of that. Um, not and then just- you've got all the Gnostic gospels, which, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, you know, some of them talk about the child of Jesus, some of them. And yeah. Was that literal or figurative? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, that's, that's the new Testament in a nutshell. Speaking about some of the things you were talking about, 
Um, I know one of the like, like one of the commandments of the show is that we don't do prep, but I did a little bit of prep. Oh, and... he prepped. <laughs> no, I just read. Do, do the, ten Hail Marys. Literally do had ten... me relate the entire history of the Bible to you from the top of my head, and, and you, you did prep. Sat there with prep. <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to do ten Hail Marys and maybe some yes. backlashes. <laughs> I'll I'll add it. I'll add it to my list. Okay. Um, but yeah, I thought something that was kind of similar to what you were saying uh, that was interesting uh, was in the, the preface of, because this is the NIV I've got, new international version uh, that was written in, in America in the sort of uh, late, mid to late 60s um, as a translation. And the preface is from the guys who did, yeah, it was the Committee on Bible Translation. So it's all about where this, this translation of the Bible came from and stuff. And it's not unusual in, in lots of things it says. Um, but it's not some of the things that they were acknowledging in this. I'm just going to read a couple of tiny little excerpts. Um, were really fascinating from the point of. So, hang on, I'll read it and then I'll make my point. Um, in regard to the divine name Yahweh, or you know, capital Y H W H, commonly referred to as the Tetragrammaton, the translators adopted the device used in most English versions of rendering that name as Lord in capital letters to distinguish it from Adonai, another Hebrew word rendered Lord, for which small letters are used. Wherever the two names stand together in the Old Testament as a compound name of God, they're rendered Sovereign Lord. Um, and then it talks about how, uh, it talks about names, but then the other thing that it talked about was, um, da, da, da. yeah, the footnotes of this version are of several kinds, most of which need no explanation. Um, in the New Testament, footnotes that refer to uncertainty regarding the original text are introduced by some manuscripts or similar expressions. In the Old Testament, evidence for the reading, and it tells you about the, where the sources come from. Uh, it also talks about how minerals, flora, fauna, architectural details, articles of clothing and jewellery, musical instruments and other articles uh, cannot be identified with precision. There's like vagueness in terms of measurements of capacity in biblical periods. Um, but just me, it's interesting how, like, even in the copy of the Bible that I was reading from, they're talking about how, you know, the, these decisions we've made, which take us further away from the original text from which these manuscripts came from, um, yes. even though we don't have those texts anywhere, and how they, you know, they acknowledge that there are multiple ideas about various bits of the word in. There's things that they just acknowledge they do not know what they mean. And so they have to give an approximation of what it would be in today's. Or an inference. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, they've they talked about how they made some decisions of translation based on um, sort of conventions yeah. of former English translations of the Bible. And I've spoken before about translation specifically as being um, an issue for me in yeah. terms of seeing the Bible as any sort of authoritative sort of message from God, because, you know, translation from two modern day languages, it's, it's incredibly difficult to get an exact meaning from one language to another, even languages that are really similar, languages that have evolved from the same, like, like two Latin languages, like say French and Spanish, even really simple things from one language to another, it's really difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and let alone then when you've got... Um, a book which was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek from different periods in time in different places um, where we only have copies of translations of copies of copies of copies of copies of translations of copies uh, yeah. with no original documents or a fragment here or a fragment there that being pieced together uh, where we know that people have made um, like on purpose made changes to things for political reasons, for ideological reasons, um, you know, the King James Bible, for example, King James, when he wanted the Bible to be translated into English, wanted it to be, just as one really small anecdotal example, wanted it to be sort of government positive. Um, so, you know, t just deciding when there's like two or three translations of a specific word, deciding which one suits your aims and goals more. Um, right. And it obviously all of this well some of that was in the preface that i've just read bits from in here um but it and it, i think when i was a christian lots of my rebuttals to that like i said 
would have been there. It doesn't matter about those little words. It doesn't matter about these slight differences in translation because God's guided it all. And the whole message is clear. Like the stories are still there and they still have the same points in them. And whether it's someone wearing a loincloth or whether they're wearing a sack of potatoes, like it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what's, you know, there's tiny little details because the message is still true and the the things that are happening there are still true and still have value and purpose. Which is interesting um, because that is not true. That that's not to interrupt you, but no, no, no. That is a very, very no. I just got so excited, but that is very, very common. Is the whole like, well, well, none of that really matters because we still have this big, broad, general message. But that is yeah. not necessarily true because some of these translation issues and translation errors significantly change how we look at the Bible and how yeah. people perceive it. And so the one, the one that I can think of most readily off the top of my head is um, when, when I was moving from Christianity and Islam, I was challenged about the whole, cause I was like, well, Jesus never says that he is God. Right. And if you look at the. the so there's that whole tussle in the, the interrogation when he's taken to like pilot and stuff, isn't there about trying to get him to say those words or something. Yeah, there was that, but there was also like, so he mentions that it's like, oh no, look right here in the text. He actually says he's he's the son of God, right? Or oh no, it says I and the Father are one, right? Oh look, it's perfectly clear in the Bible that it says I and the Father are one. And then you read the next sentence and it says, just as anyone who believes in the Father and in me are also one, right? So it's basically that translation to me is enough to say, um, Hey, anyone who believes in God is one with God. And it's a very like um, sort of transcendental state of mind versus an actual being, um, being one with God. But it's it's little things like that where that is crucial when you talk about, oh, it's just a tiny little translation error or it mm-hmm. might be just a tiny little, the way they worded it to, to give a certain impression really can fundamentally change. Or even just the way that you read the sentence and leave out the next sentence, right? can fundamentally change the way that um, the information is presented. And I think even even more potentially, uh, I, I use the word dangerous liberally here, but even more potentially dangerous is when you get translations, in inverted commas, of the Bible, where they've just taken a modern-day English version of the Bible and basically just then paraphrased it to mean something slightly different. So, like, I read a couple of Bibles when I was a teenager that were, like, street language sort of very like i mean they, they would have been completely out of date language now but it was like ultra ultra like <laughs> cool language i mean i was never cool even the way i'm saying this sounds uncool but like <laughs> cool street hip language and um for christians yeah for christians uh <laughs> oxymoron <laughs> but like so those things is even more so where you're taking a, an english translation which has had all those decisions about translation going into it. And then you're you're then deciding, right, well, what exactly does that mean in English? Like translating it to a different English even. And right. so much more extra meaning or takes away meaning because people say, well, that's not as important. This is more important. And it's just personal preference. It's personal choice. Never turned. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm so excited. when I was so excited when uh, Richard mentioned the Tetragrammatron. Because when the Tetragrammaton, the, the YHWH, and the Donut... It sounds like someone from the Transformers, doesn't it? Yeah. It really yeah. does. Yeah. Uh, and He's a Decepticon. The, the, yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, train of thought, come back. When, when the Tetragrammaton and the, uh, uh, the, the word Adonai, which was the word which meant my lord, yeah. was actually mistranslated together. Those words were mistranslated together, and that is where we get the name Jehovah from. Mm. It's a complete mistranslation. I have that heard didn't come about that. until like uh, I want to say at the at the very earliest, the ninth century. But I think it was actually much later than that. Uh, I think it, I think you're talking tenth, eleventh century when that first came about, and it was just a scribal error. It was just people who were, because you had God referred to in these two distinct ways as Adonai, my Lord, and as the YHWH, the Tetragrammaton, and they, they just got put together. And, and as, as, it, as they were put together, the, the sounding of it became Jehovah. Yeah. 
So that's it. Anybody who, who claims Jehovah is the name of God. It's just completely wrong. Completely wrong. And that, that also, and this is slightly a sideline, but like part of my interest since leaving Christianity in the origins of the Bible and stuff led me to sort of look at the beginnings of sort of the Jewish faith and the Hebrews originally and sort of the changes in what we understand as like traditional Jewish teachings but in terms of like I said in terms of like a lot how <laughs> like the God ideas sort of adapted to sort of then finally become what we get in the Bible and I think like I mentioned from the preface that I read about how the Tetragrammaton has just been translated in this version of the Bible as Lord it sort of is one step away from that original sort of name of God in the Bible, which then sort of removes it from that history of these other gods that people worshipped sort of, yeah, in the beginning Hebrews and stuff. And I think that's a really interesting decision. Can I just uh, shamelessly self-promote as well on the, the issue of translation? Oh, you <laughs> should. I've just uh, done a, an episode of uh, Skeptic Takeout all about translation. And it talks about uh, Buddhist texts, it talks about the Quran, it talks about the Bible in different things, especially during the Reformation and print and how that came along. And regarding what Richard said earlier about you can mistranslate from one language to another, mm. I actually gave an example in that of taking a, a, a script from the back of a French book and I, I translated it word for word using just kind of the normal Google translator. And I got a friend of mine who's got a master's degree in linguistics and I got him to translate it for me as well. And the difference between that is amazing. It's absolutely amazing when you, when you apply just a little bit of knowledge. Yep. Because I was speaking specifically about an apologist who I'd, who'd had a discussion with who was... Uh, mistranslating things left right and center out of context because it was doing it word by word and that I remember as well like because I did I studied linguistics French and German at university and like in my some of my translation lectures and seminars and stuff like I remember lecturers native speakers of various languages having arguments about how to translate one thing to another you know one a thing from right. one another and they were like native speakers of those languages of languages that exist nowadays that we have millions and millions of native speakers of who can have those discussions and we're talking about translation decisions from languages that no longer exist where there are zero native speakers and it's just that that degree of separation but still people put so much faith and trust in the words that are in this book which bear no no resemblance to what they originally would have done but even if they did or didn't, we don't even know. We, like, there's no way of knowing. Yeah, there's no way of confirming. No yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. So just to make it like really relevant to like the everyday person, just thinking of translations. So if you took something like if I said like I think uh, Richard is really cool, and you guys can guess which Richard I'm talking about. I don't care. We all know. Uh, we all know. So what would that translate to in another language? So if you're talking about reading it and say an ancient text where you you only have the strict definitions of each word. Right. And it's been pieced together from different um, sources and and um, some of it might be be somewhat some somewhat suspect. Um, if you were to translate it today, you would translate it to another language to say something along the lines of neat or fun or or awesome or admirable or whatever. You'd, you'd have to come up with another adjective in that language because cool has a completely different meaning. If you say like, um, oh, wow, my tea has gotten cool. Right. Um, but you might not have that additional context when you're talking about like, so what I'm trying to talk about is like, um, what is it called? It's, it's uh, where you just have everyday banter language. What is it called? Like, um, vernacular. Vernacular. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not talking about like direct. Uh, oh my God, my brain. You're not talking about direct <laughs> definitions from the dictionary. You are talking about, modern day use and slang slang is the actual word i was looking for so it changes the meaning of words it's right? like like a really obvious like basic example is like the word sick the word sick yeah. can mean great the word sick can mean ill the word sick can mean physical vomit on the floor yeah like and and that on the face of it seems to be a very easy word to define and translate but you know if i send one of you a text saying so and so sick 
you could both both of you native english speakers nowadays could have interpreted that in completely opposite ways yeah not just slightly different ways but opposite ways and you, you would only know the difference because of context either of things i've said before or context of, you know something else going on uh, and i know people talk about all the time when they talk about the bible oh well you're taking that out of context or you need to know the context but like we can guess at some of the context how would you like, even know yeah <laughs> yeah like if someone in 2000 years looked at a text message that I sent to you referring to someone as sick, you would have no idea about the context around that. And that's even if you looked at my actual message. Um, it's yeah, and the, the context is, is, is something I'm, I'm very adamant about trying to get across a lot of the time as well. So not just to like believers, but also to critics who are non-believers who, right. who decide that they're suddenly experts after reading a, a single Bart Herman book which there are a lot of in our community. <laughs> and, uh, the, the, you know, it depends how you're reading the Bible because there isn't just a way to read the Bible. If someone's reading it from, from the aspect of being a believer and worship, they're reading it completely different to someone's doing textual analysis on it or to somebody who's looking at how it was put together or someone who's looking at it from a, a different historical perspective, or someone who's looking at it from the poetry perspective, or on and on and on. There are so many right. different ways. Okay, so let's... Even as believers, like, there's a difference between, like, if you happen to be doing some study at home and you're reading a bit of the Bible just at random, or whether you're sat in a service at a church and, uh, you know, the vicar or pastor or whatever is preaching a specific bit of the Bible, or you're listening to some Christian radio station and there's a bit of a Bible verse in a song, or you experience all those in different ways. And I think it's, um, yeah, like even just one of those examples that you said has so many subsets of how you could look at something, hear something, how you associate what you're hearing with what it's supposed to be meaning. And I can sit. I can sit in a sermon and I have sat in sermons on many, many occasions and I've never been a believer, but I've sat in sermons on many, many occasions and I've heard the sermon spoke and I've been going through my head. I can relate that to X in Buddhism or I can relate that to X in Islam. And, you know, because that's the context I was looking at from, from the different perspectives and our things, and, and it's so easy to do. It all depends on how you're listening. It all but depends I, I often... on your intent. So that, yeah. that brings up another fascinating look at the Bible, not as like the word of God, but just as a cultural phenomenon, right? Like, so you have, we don't know the original authors and what their original intent was, right? And so if we can agree on that, let's let's look at like, say, a modern day author or a modern day songwriter, right? And you'll hear a song or you'll read a book and you'll start to infer all these different meanings, all these different intentions. And here's what the author must have been meaning or thinking or feeling at this time, or here's what they mean. And you'll have all these people in forums arguing over like what the the deeper meaning is behind um, a, a said story or song. Right. And then the author will come in and if they're a good author, they'll say, no, each, each person is right because the, the story needs to speak to each individually, each individual person, the way that it speaks to them. But you'll you'll have people come in and say, well, I originally wrote this song because of this or my original intention with this part of the story was that. And it could be completely wrong from what people think. Um, but then the question becomes, does that does that really matter? Like, does the, the author's intention matter? So now, but this is but this is only would it? it wouldn't. But this is only looking at the Bible from a literary perspective, not a word of God perspective, because that's a whole another argument like does it matter from a literary perspective if person A or person B or person C is right, if they're drawing something out of it that has meaning to them, right? Like that, that is where it becomes interesting to me. So I think as believers or non-believers, you can take some amazing things from the Bible, you know, in terms of like, I mean, everyone jumps straight at things like the Sermon on the Mount and most of that has some, you know, great uh, moral ideas and, and stuff like that but um oh, i've kind of forgotten what my point was what did you say laura oh, I was oh just no, about... sorry yeah. yeah you can get different things out and i think yeah. one thing linking back to what jillover was saying a bit ago about sitting in a sermon i remember as a christian often sitting in a church listening to things being said to me and, and a passage from the bible would really speak out to me and I, I really felt a deep connection of like this is god speaking to me no one else in this church is getting this message because this is for me 
But it's funny because I had the same feeling when you watch like a rubbish Hallmark Christmas film and there's a bit in there that's just <laughs> like, it's like, oh yeah, that really, you know, like it's not just a, a thing with the Bible that that happens and it kind of felt like it was at the time, but it's only sometimes I'll, I'll be watching Jeremy Kyle show yeah. on, you know. Or, and it, or well, memes and, on Facebook. How often do memes on Facebook speak yeah. just to you like they were on your Facebook feed? Yeah. I'm, you? I'm very conscious that we're short of time and I really want yeah. to get to Laura's subject before we, uh, before we go. Yeah, so that might be an okay closing subject in the sense of just really quickly what your guys' thoughts are. It'd be cool to delve into more, but we wouldn't really necessarily have a lot of time for it. But the question of which Bible. So what a lot of people don't think about or what I run into a lot is the realization that there's not just multiple translations of one text of the Bible. There's multiple whole different Bibles, right? Like that include different books and different gospels or whatever and we're not just talking about the ones that got dismissed like at the nicene Creed or whatever like oh sure there were ancient texts like that were in the dead sea scrolls or whatever and those were dismissed and we know those aren't part of the bible like let's pretend those don't even exist just the bibles that exist today there's an ethiopian bible there's an orthodox russian bible there's the american like whatever modern bible there's the, the catholic bible and the protestant bible have different books that are accepted as, as um, canon, right? So when we say the Bible, my, my first question is always, which Bible? Because it ends up typically being, if you're a Catholic, it ends up being the Catholic Bible when you're talking about the Bible. When you're Protestant, it ends up being the Protestant Bible, right? But they're, they're totally different. And again, that's the only thing that I learned after leaving Christianity as well. Um, and it, it, it is interesting because it's one of those things where like I think earlier on I compared like how I wouldn't have can't remember what I said but you know like I wouldn't have accepted these things of other religions it's like that like of course the bible that I read is the right one all the I read it, got it yep. wrong you know it's, <laughs> it's exactly it's um and it's a fallacy but I think it's through and I don't mean this in a mean-spirited way but ignorance of those sorts of issues isn't it like Christians don't have any reason or or yeah, they don't have any reason to search for that sort of information because it's not relevant to, you know, strengthening their faith. It's not relevant to furthering their walk with Christ. It's 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 irrelevant to that. Yeah, um, Richard, what are your thoughts on that from like a more um, scholarly? I I, I think uh, it's always been the case of the the bible bible as as different books even the uh old testament we got, a lot of people concentrate on the new testament but even the old testament when it was it was made up of different books and it had different books in it uh some different points throughout history until it got made into the modern day bible so yeah. and then you come into the modern time and yeah and not only have you got different like mainstream groups like the Catholics and stuff you've then got the like the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons who tend to use the King James Bible but their own spin on it or groups like the Christadelphians who don't aren't Trinitarians mm-hmm. and they all use the Bible. They all they all have different interpretations and different ways of viewing it, and yeah, the, the, and all those different people use the Bible, the, the the sort of similar text, to espouse incredibly different views about like social issues and political preferences about things. You know, like you can use the Bible, and it, again, we're saying the Bible, which Bible? But even if it's <laughs> the exact same translation of the exact same copy or whatever with the same books in it, you could still use that. In different ways. That was completely contrasting views about yep. topics. Completely. Yeah, you can use it to justify slavery, and you could use it to say that slavery is immoral. You could use and it with to justify abortion not, and to say that abortion yeah. is bad. Yeah. Without and even think, trying to be actively misusing it or anything like with the best will. No, with very world. good like intentions. Can, yeah. yeah. I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier as well about uh, uh, the winners of. Uh, it's a good example of the winners are the ones who go down in history because even now the correct Bible is the Orthodox one. 
And although there are different versions of the Bible, it's the orthodox one that everybody, everybody, the kind of majority of people, even scholars, uh, uh, take as kind of, this is the Bible. And now just to be clear, because a lot of people don't know this, when you say the orthodox Bible, doesn't it have something, and I'm going to forget the exact number, it's like 11 more books than the Protestant Bible, right? It's I can't remember the exact eleven. Okay, so eleven is what popped into my head, and I I don't know that it's correct. But so when you say the Orthodox Bible, it has additional books to what you would normally see in like the um the the Protestant. What's a popular translation like the NIV? NIV, yeah. Um, there's when I when I said the Orthodox Bible, I mean the Bible with sixty six books in. The 66 books of the Bible is generally what most people okay. consider like to be to. the Bible. Yeah. Whichever one that is. Because Whichever. Yeah, I don't remember. And I'm probably speaking <laughs> like just, I'm probably making a fool of myself. But um, yeah, so that that very, very interesting topic. Um, I could probably talk on for, for hours, but we are at the end of our time. So really quick closing thoughts, guys. And then we'll do our goodbyes and kick off. I'll just finish by saying I, I still haven't finished reading the Bible and I have started it a, a good few times and I do want to get through it, which is seems to be a common thing for former Christians to want to do. Um, <laughs> but I just think the more people know about something, the better, the, 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 hang on, the more, the more that someone knows about something, the better informed their opinions about it and how much they should value it can be. That wasn't yeah. an English sentence, but you know what I mean? And so like, and I think that that stands for believers and non-believers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, learn things about stuff. Yes. I'm, I'm going to go left field and I'm going to say, uh, if you are a believer in the Bible, that's fine. It doesn't matter. Just, I just implore you to like look at it and study it and do a bit more historical analysis of it. Just understand that I'm not saying don't believe in it. I'm saying look at it critically and understand how it was put together. It needn't affect your faith. Some of the best scholars in the world who know this shit maintain their Christians. faith. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't mean you have to lose your faith. Just be more critical. Don't accept that the gospels were written by Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John don't think that the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses because it's bullshit. You're doing because nobody the any been favors, saying as especially well, yourself. The things we've been saying about, you know, like we don't have the originals, it's translations and copies, that doesn't necessarily mean that things that are written in the Bible are untrue. It, it doesn't mean that, does it? Uh, we might have good reason to think that some of the things are, are untrue, but we don't know. It's two separate topics. Yeah, yeah no, that's yeah. a good point. I would say, like, my, my closing comment is that like other... Um, lasting works of literary genius, right? The Bible has this rich, complicated, compelling, intriguing, very controversial um, past and history. And it's very, very neat to learn more about it. Um, so yeah, like what Jilliver said, whether you're a believer or not a believer, for me, what I wanted to get out of this discussion was just how complex, like just the discussion alone of the Bible really is. Like there's just so much... Um, color to it and so much so many potential rabbit holes you could take so yeah be curious about it and ask questions about it and and get excited about it um you never know what you're gonna learn so having said that um thank you guys all for listening we will catch you guys next time don't forget to like and subscribe and to share our stuff so we can grow our numbers um so we will see you next week um just as a reminder we are laura richard and Richard, and this has been Skeptic Hangout. Until next time. Stay curious. Interrogate your beliefs. <laughs> Forgot the line. I was, supposed, I was supposed to say keep questioning. You were supposed to say stay curious. <laughs> so just carry on doing whatever you're doing, guys. Just do it. On. Bye. <laughs>